The all season continues to drag on, but your favorite college football podcast, the Blue Bloods, are back to address the biggest questions in college football. We discuss whether Isaiah Simmons really showed that he is the best defensive player in this draft, whether Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa are really the best quarterbacks in this draft, and we also talk about Michael Irvin's comments about the 40-yard dash, and then we wrap it all up with how we personally would fix the scheduling problems for the Power 5 conferences. We have plenty of opinions and hot takes, so let's get it rolling. going to start out and we're going to talk about Isaiah Simmons combine performance. The combine officially wraps up Monday, which is today. If you're listening to this when we actually drop this We're recording on Sunday though. And one of the biggest storylines of the weekend was the performance of Clemson linebacker slash defensive back slash buck defensive end. He plays everything. He might be the real head coach, but Simmons lit up the 40 yard dash and he had a time of four point three on the 40 yard dash this dude is 6'3 240 pounds that doesn't even make sense that he moves that fast and to add to his impressive weekend Simmons ranks second among draft eligible linebackers this year with a 39 inch vertical jump and led all linebackers in the broad jump with an 11 foot broad jump distance and so brandon i have to ask does this performance warrant consideration for isaiah simmons as the best defensive player in the draft this year okay so what i will say about it is that these numbers i mean there's no denying it they're incredible i mean this guy is almost six four he's 240 pounds uh and he ran that 439 i'm not going to give him that 43 like zach did he ran a 439 that's closer to a 44 Still very impressive. I think he beat uh, the second fastest. I think he beat the uh, second fastest linebacker by a whole tenth of a second in the 40 yard dash this year. So, yeah, while I do think those numbers are impressive, um, I'm kind of of the mindset that the NFL combine isn't nearly as important as we like to act like it is. I mean, I don't I don't feel like I'm being ridiculous in saying that. I just don't think that the combine matters as much as. You know, I mean, when when in the world, I understand that a vertical jump might be important for for somebody like Isaiah Simmons. You know, he's playing uh, this outside linebacker position. He's playing safety, you know, whatever he needs to get up there. You know, if he's going to intercept a ball, he has to get up there. Right. Uh, or if he needs to defend a pass, he needs to get up there. But I mean, when do you need a broad jump in the NFL? When do you need that? When do you need straight line speed like the 40 yard dash? We'll get to that later. But it's just. To me, I think that he probably is the most impressive player or the most impressive defensive player in this year's draft, but I don't think that these combine numbers are what makes him the most impressive. I I understand that. I mean, I feel like this comes mostly because I think everyone in the country outside of a few people really are saying that Chase Young 
is the best player in the draft? And I don't think he is. My answer is obviously yes on this, but it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't all rest on what Isaiah Simmons showed this past weekend in Indianapolis. I think this, his performance along with Chase Young skipping his opportunity to work out is the reason why Isaiah Simmons should be the undisputed top player in this draft because Chase Young skipping his workouts was a big question mark, a big red flag for me and a lot. And I've, I was watching the combine coverage and a lot of other people were really skeptical of why Chase Young chose not to work out this weekend. I mean, a healthy defensive lineman, a healthy defensive player almost never skips their workouts. Even the even Nick Bosa, who skipped his entire senior season, came and worked out at the combine. I mean, that 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 really throws me off because, yes, sometimes quarterbacks don't throw. That's because that depends on a lot of stuff like they're not comfortable with the wide receivers. They're not comfortable with this or that or. You know, they want to wait till their pro day so they can throw in a comfortable environment. And I, I understand that. But I mean, is there really can you can anyone really put their finger on a reason why a defensive lineman wouldn't want to work out? Because, I mean, defensive lineman, if you don't run a fast 40, no one cares because no one's expecting you to run a four four. I mean, the Bosa twins both ran over four sevens, I believe, and no one batted nah. I mean, it just it doesn't look good. And then combat that with chase young had the tendency to disappear in the biggest games this season i mean brandon he had what one tackle in the clemson game yeah i mean he didn't look great at all and i was going to bring that up next so i'm glad that you already segued into it chase young i mean i'm not gonna act like he's not good everyone knows he's a great defensive end i don't think he's the best player in this draft on the defensive side on the defensive side of the ball by any stretch of the imagination i think that's isaiah simmons i don't even think it's close I mean, Chase Young, fantastic football player, but where was he during this Clemson game? You know, that, that's an important factor. You know, he was, if you watched any of this game, I mean, you almost forgot about Chase Young. You know, if, if the announcers weren't talking about his absence every 10 seconds, you would have forgotten about him because he just wasn't, I mean, he wasn't putting any pressure on this offense. I mean, he wasn't putting any pressure on the edge, no pressure on Trevor Lawrence. I don't think he had any sacks, right? It's just like he wasn't – it's almost like he, you know, he was one of the Heisman candidates. He was one of the best defensive players, one of the best players, period, all season. Then it comes around to this big game or it goes around uh, to the, even like the Penn State game. He just kind of disappears. It just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, yeah, you need I, if you're going to be the best defensive player in the nation, you have to show up when it matters. A, a thousand percent. And the argument that he faced so many double teams and teams ran away from him, you don't think he's going to have that in the NFL? And I think the offensive yeah. line play in the NFL is so much better than the average big, the, the average big 10 offensive line. I mean, you get to beat up on teams like Rutgers. I mean, I guess, well, I guess he missed the Rutgers game, but you, you get the point. You get to beat up on teams like Illinois or what, whatever, whatever team you want to say. And a pass rusher is a great asset to have. I don't think anyone's arguing against that. But how is that becoming more valuable than a player that can play at all levels of the defense? I mean, Isaiah Simmons this year played linebacker, safety. He was a slot corner at sometimes. He played the edge rusher at, a, at the buck position. I mean, 
that to me is way more valuable than a guy who can sometimes bring a, a pass rush. I, and I just don't see the effort. I mean, Isaiah Simmons didn't have a bad game that I saw all year. And I, I, I really think he is the best player in the draft overall. And that's a strong statement, but oh, wow. I got, I got questions on a lot of these quarterbacks. I, I do. Every single yeah. one of them has a big question mark. Isaiah Simmons is the sh- surefire pick of the draft. And, this so I got two comparisons. So I think him being the best overall player is is kind of comparable to how Minka Fitzpatrick, in my opinion, was the best player in the 2000 was it 16 draft. I th- he fell all the way to 10 because all these quarterbacks and offensive linemen were getting picked above him. But I think Minka Fitzpatrick was the most valuable player in that draft, and people just overlooked him. And I think he's shown that since he's went to the Steelers. I mean, people forget the the dude is a monster. He got he got he was hidden in Miami for a little while, but well, it, didn't, it doesn't even matter if he was hidden in Miami. I mean, he was showing out in Miami. He was their best player, and it wasn't close. You know, I mean, he was he was showing out in every single game, and that's why they traded him to Pittsburgh. I mean, they they traded him there because he was really, I mean, he was their best asset. You know, if you're going to rebuild, go ahead and get rid of all your assets, get these draft picks, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, so yeah, and, I agree. You know, with you. I, I think I think that uh, Isaiah Thomas or I'm uh, sorry, yeah, Isaiah Thomas. I think that Isaiah Simmons definitely has uh, has that I don't even know what to call it that competitiveness of Mika Fitzpatrick, that athleticism of Mika Fitzpatrick within him. Um, and you know, I think he has the potential to be even better just because he's so versatile. I mean, he doesn't only play this defensive back position. You know, he switched to linebacker for his junior season this past year, and like you said, he played Buck. He can play anywhere on that side of the football, and he's going to dominate. Yeah, and I think his pro comparison. So this was funny. I, I'm not even. Gonna t- I, I no one's going to believe the story except for the people who really know me and how much I what, pay attention to football. I had a pro comparison picked out for this player, and right before we were recording, I looked up what the NFL.com had as his pro comparison, and we had the same player. And I was really, really proud of myself. It's going on my CV, my resume when I apply for jobs coming out of college. This guy to me is the next Darius Leonard. And this that's the linebacker that the Colts got second round of the draft a few years ago. And he was ranked as one of the top 30 players in the NFL this past season. And I think Isaiah Simmons has is similar size, but he's more he's a more athletic version of Darius Leonard, which makes Isaiah Simmons extremely, extremely scary going forward. And I think Isaiah Simmons will have the best career out of this draft class out of all the defensive players. And he's going to be the leader of an elite defense. And he's the best linebacker prospect that I have seen come out in years, guys. I mean, there's not someone in the past probably five years that I've seen that I'm as high on on the defensive side of the ball as Isaiah Simmons. And I think he is a future pro bowler. And if everything turns out right, injuries, scheme, all that, he has Hall of Fame potential, and he should be the immediate pick for any team that does not have a dire quarterback need in this draft. I just just don't know if I can – I understand what you're saying, but, I mean, you're – I don't know. There's something about it. I mean, in in – not only, I mean, your argument's kind of falling apart here, right? Because you said that you think he's the best player overall. So why not take him, you know, even if you do have a quarterback need? I mean, maybe wait. Well, There's so well, many I mean, quarterbacks in the first draft. 
Yeah, I mean, you know? that's that's true. But, I mean, is a linebacker going to really – like, the Bengals – I'm sorry. Like, the Bengals don't have anything, dude. I mean, you got to start somewhere. I mean, are the Bengals going to trust Andy – I mean, Andy Dalton's gone. I mean, from everything I've been reading, Andy Dalton's going to go. Are you really going to put the team in the hands, I believe, of Jeff Driscoll? Oh, God. No, I, didn't I mean, you, do you get what well, I mean? Like, uh, it's uh, – yeah. if I was the Bengals – I would consider drafting him. They're not going to, though, especially because we'll get into it this next segment, talking about Joe Burrow. I think they're almost forced to take Joe Burrow. If another team had the first pick they needed a quarterback and they drafted Chase Young or Isaiah Simmons, they could get away with it. But the Bengals, if they don't draft the hometown kid or the home state kid that just won the Hosman Trophy and then Joe Burrow turns out to be an amazing quarterback like a lot of people think he is, the Bengals would never live that down. Yeah, I mean, I guess you have a point there. Um, yeah, uh, do you want to go ahead and move on there since we're already talking about it? <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead and move on to the next question. We're going to discuss who is the best quarterback in the draft and who is better between Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa. So Joe Burrow has been deemed as almost the surefire number one pick in the upcoming NFL draft, while Tua Tagovailoa has been soaring on draft boards and has, pro- has been projected to go as high as number three to the Washington Redskins. And there have been talks that the Bengals were considering taking him over Burrow. So, in your opinion, Brandon, is Joe Burrow the best quarterback in this draft class? And should, and in your opinion, should teams take a risk on Tagovailoa, even though he has a horrible, horrible injury history? Yes, and yes. So, I'll go ahead and start out with the Joe Burrow. Obviously, I mean, what do you think I'm going to say here? I mean, you're kind of setting me up to to say yes, and you know I'm going to say yes. So. Joe Burrow, obviously, I mean, just this past season alone, uh, just a complete breakout star. You know, I talked about it on the SEC recap a couple of days ago. Um, I mean, that's just what he was. And the kid passed for just astronomical numbers last year. How do you overlook that? You know, if, if, if it's this, I mean, he's going in the NFL draft. If you're a team like the Bengals, if you're a team like, I mean, the, even the Dolphins, you know, if you can trade up, they won't. I think the Dolphins trade down, but that's a discussion for another day. Um, you have to, I mean, you have to take consideration, Joe Burrow. I mean, everyone's ranking him as the top quarterback in this draft class. I agree with them. Uh, and to move on to the next point, I guess, Tua. Um, do I draft Tua? Yes, but do I draft him in the top 10? Maybe not. I think I might pass on him. Tua's going to be a player that you have to, I mean, you have to, you're going to have to work with him. Um, if you're wanting to draft him and start him immediately, good luck because he's not going to play for you for more than two seasons because he's just, I mean, he's going to be broken. You know, this injury history that you've talked about uh, that everyone in the world's talked about, you can't draft this kid and expect him to play right off the bat. He's going to be one of the, he's going to be a player that you draft and you hold on to, you hold on to him for a season or two, let him heal up, then start him. That's why I don't think you can draft him with the number three overall pick for the Dolphins. I think you have to wait. And you know, honestly, or if you're the Dolphins, in my honest opinion, draft Justin Herbert. Good God, draft Justin Herbert. I mean, this kid has been insanely good. You, you, you can't steal my thunder out. like that. You cannot steal my thunder like that. I'm going to, but go ahead. Go ahead. And, <laughs> and I want to hear your thoughts on it then. I want to, I want to go to the reasons why. Everyone already knows, based on previous episodes, that Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa are not even my, not even my top quarterback in the draft, in my opinion. And 
I know some of you guys might be tuning out now that I've said that, especially all our LSU listeners and our Alabama listeners, which is most of you guys. But before you make that horrible mistake of not of not listening to us, hear me out. Tua would actually be ranked above Joe Burrow, in my opinion, if he did not have the injury history. I think, I mean, people seem to forget, man, Tua's had two tightrope ankle surgeries, a broken finger, a sprained knee, a quadricep pull, and his most recent hip injury. That's, that is a laundry list of injuries that teams should be worried about. And especially if you have a below average offensive line, and I'm looking at you, Miami, like Brandon said, Miami, you do not have the offensive line to draft a glass quarterback like this that was going to be hurt all the time. But if you can keep him healthy, man, he has the best accuracy in the class, and he's a proven winner. Yes, Brandon's going to have a heart attack that I put to his accuracy above Joe Burrow, but people forget Joe Burrow has an almost 70% completion percentage over his entire career at Alabama. Joe Burrow threw for 57% in 2018. He did jump to almost 80%, which is outrageous at LSU this past season. But I don't think that's going to stay up there. That took everything going right for Joe Burrow for him to put up those numbers. Tua has been more accurate, has been a more accurate passer throughout his career and for a longer amount of time. And I think the one big question mark on Tua is how mobile is he going to be coming off a hip surgery? I don't know if his mobility is going to be as high as some people think he's going to be after the surgery, but I think his accuracy will make up for it. And to move on to Joe Burrow and why I don't think he's above Justin Herbert. And it's because we can't ignore the past. Yes. He had one amazing season, but this is a kid who couldn't even beat out Dwayne Haskins at Ohio state. And do you guys know what Washington is doing with Haskins do right mean, now? What do you mean couldn't even beat out Dwayne Haskins to watch? At, at what? At, or at Ohio could, State? At, at Ohio State? Yeah, he couldn't. Yeah, he was incredible. Dwayne Haskins was incredible at Ohio State. I don't care what he's okay, doing in the NFL. He's playing with the Redskins per- O-line. Fine. That's that's perfectly fine. Uh, is and it? The, Doesn't he's, sound he's, fun? About, he's about to be bitched for Tua, man. They are talking about just letting him go because he's been so bad. You want to, and it's not even because of the offensive line. You have Dwayne Haskins taking selfies in the crowd instead of and missing snaps. Oh, it's bad. It's no, terrible. it's so bad. But you can't tell me it's not night and day between his college career and his and his pro career. Oh, I mean, okay, yeah. So like he uh, he did have a okay. one great season in college, but Joe Burrow to me, looked like the overall better quarterback this past season than, than Dwayne Haskins. So I want to know what was happening behind the scenes. I really do. I mean, you Urban Meyer to... already talked about it. Go pull – as much as I don't want to plug him, I'm going to have to <laughs> real quick. Colin Cowherd didn't know Joe Burrow played Ohio State first of all, so I'll go ahead and trash him before we even go anywhere else. But um, he had Urban Meyer on this past season to talk about Joe Burrow and to wonder why he didn't have the starting position. And, and Urban Meyer said that the reason is that they were just, I mean, they were neck and neck every single season going into the regular season. And Dwayne Haskins just beat them out. And I, can, I mean, if you watch Dwayne Haskins in college, you'd understand that. I mean, it's crazy to say that your backup quarterback is neck and neck with the starter and he didn't transfer like before when he did. So I don't, I don't want to, you know, it's ridiculous to say that. He couldn't even beat out Dwayne Haskins. You're acting like okay. he's a scrub, or he okay, was. I'm not scrub. saying he's. I'm not saying he's a scrub. Okay, so this is going to make everyone mad, but I'm not the only one that thinks this. I think Joe Burrow's real potential in the NFL is closer to his 2018 season than it is to this past season. I 
I do. I think his 2018 performance is more of what you're going to get rather than this past season. Because this past season, if he gets drafted to the Bengals, he's going to be without Joe Brady, which was a wizard with the offense at LSU. He's going to be without Claude Edwards-Hilaire, which we both said played a way bigger role than people are giving him credit for. He's not going to have the best offensive line in college football, which had how many people probably going to get drafted from that offensive line this year? Three? Yeah. I mean... Probably. And that's not even including the people who are coming back that will probably get drafted next year. And then you're also not going to have the arsenal of weapons that he had between Justin Jefferson and oh, uh, I mean, debatable. I mean, it's debatable. AJ Green, Green AJ Green's probably not even coming back to Cincinnati. You don't think if they get a quarterback like Joe Burrow, he's going to give them a chance? Okay, maybe, but also, I mean, okay. AJ Green and, and the relationship with the Bengals front office has. Tyler Boyd's good, but I mean, I don't think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I don't think he's good. I don't think. Yeah, but do you? I, don't, I mean, in your heart of hearts, do you think that? Do you think that? I mean, can you look at me in the, in the eyes right now and say definitively that any of these LSU wide receivers are going to end up being Hall of Famers in the NFL? Justin Jefferson has that. the potential to be legendary, and Justin Jefferson right now is better than Tyler Boyd. I'll put that on everything. I'll put, put that on, on right whatever now. you want to put on. Justin Jefferson is the Justin Jefferson is better than Tyler Boyd is right now. I'm just saying it, and I will. If you want to argue about it, we can. But Justin Jefferson is better. I would never argue about that. I would never do that. (laughs) I never, I never called Tyler Boyd a Hall of Famer. I just think he's a good NFL wide receiver. I think that Justin Jefferson will be a good NFL wide receiver. Uh, We just don't know yet. So I'm just saying, like, I don't think he's going to have all the all the tools to be as successful as people think he is going to be. But I'll give, so I, I've spent the last few minutes ripping Burrow and Brandon's stroking out over here. I will say yeah, this, Joe Burrow has the best mentality and mindset of any quarterback in the draft. I think he has the confidence. I think he has that. He He has that it factor that I think he is going to be fine. I just don't think, that he is the he has the quarterback with the best potential, and I don't think he's the most draft ready quarterback. And I think more things need to go right for Joe Burrow to be as successful as Justin Herbert. And we'll move to that so Brandon could just calm down for a second. Justin Herbert is the number one quarterback on my draft board. And I mean, uh, but I mean, go ahead, go ahead. No, I'm not even gonna argue with you. I think I think that. I think he should be the second best on your draft board. But if you want to say best, everyone's entitled to their opinions. They can't. I mean, I'm I don't going with best. I'm going with best, and here's why. Uh, uh, just hear me out. Herbert is a prototypical NFL quarterback right now. He has great decision making. That he has not thrown for many interceptions at his time at Oregon. He is. He has a clean injury report, which is why he's above Tua. And he has consistency throughout his NCAA career. So if you turn on Joe Burrow's 2018 film and compare it to the 2019 film, night and day difference. You're like, okay, well, which one is he going to give me? If you look at Jordan Love's film, if you turn on 2018 film to 2019 film, it's like, okay, well, which am I going to get? You look at Herbert's film from 18 and Herbert's film from 19, you're like, okay, I know exactly what I'm going to get with this kid. I'm going to get a guy who makes the right play consistently and is a winner. I mean, people say, well, he didn't win a national championship. Yeah, not many not many quarterbacks coming into the league do. Justin Herbert led Oregon to a Pac-12 championship and a Rose Bowl victory over a really, really, really strong Wisconsin team that Brandon was high on and all, thought they had the Hasman winner, Jonathan Taylor, on that team. Oh, and, yeah, I'm not going to lie. 
But he also yeah. led them to a loss against Arizona State this past season. Are, are you going to put that all on Justin Herbert? We both watched the are game. We the know that was all on Justin Herbert. I, I did say I can go both ways. I'm, I'm just saying, like, I thought he made enough plays to be efficient in the system he was in. Because, I mean, are we really saying that that the Oregon system is comparable to LSU? Because I think if you put Justin Herbert on that LSU team, I think he puts up similar or better stats than Joe Burrow did this year. And I will, Dude, you I will argue all that. in with the hot takes. Just the hottest takes of all time today. I'm just going to mute my it. mic. Go. <laughs> Guys. Justin Herbert has put up over 3,000 yards his last two years and has a 64% completion percentage throughout four years at Oregon. Not Joe Burrow's one year of 70-something and a 50-something. Justin Herbert has been more consistent. Listen, here's another reason he'll be more successful. And Brandon, you can unmute your mic because you're going to, you'll respond to this because you'll agree with this. The reason he'll be more successful than Tua and Burrow is because he's going to fall to a better situation. As well, because that increases his chances of success. I'm looking at the Colts, one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. They got T.Y. Hilton, Marlon Mack, and they'll probably draft some weapons in the in this upcoming draft. And then you got the Chargers, pretty decent offensive line. And Brandon, how good weapons do uh, the Chargers have? Uh, Keenan Allen's okay. Hunter Henry's whatever. I'm playing. Yeah, they're Hunter Henry's great. whatever. They're a great target. Yeah. But really good. And then yes. and then what happens when the Buccaneers get rid of Jameis and get someone who's not throwing 30 interceptions in a year? I mean, the Buccaneers, people forget. Touchdowns. That's pretty good. And he got LASIK. So. There you go. But, I mean, the Buccaneers got some studs. I mean, Mike Evans, people forget how good this kid is. I mean, and you give Justin Herbert, and they have a pretty decent offensive line. I mean, Jameis wasn't getting murdered out there. But I think Justin Herbert has the potential to be the best quarterback in this draft. He's shown more consistency throughout his career than Joe Burrow and Jordan Love have, which Jordan Love is probably my fourth quarterback. He's up there with these guys. I think he's a bigger hit or miss prospect. So like he could be the best quarterback or he's just going to be a complete bust. And we'll get into him in future episodes because we're coming out with uh, different mock drafts and position rankings. So we'll talk about him later, but I think also the injury history puts him above Tua. So therefore Justin Herbert's my number one quarterback going in here. And he didn't play in a real pass heavy offense like Burrow and Tua did. I mean, you forget Alabama changed their whole offense around Tua and I think people forget how good Tua's weapons were. I mean, Henry Ruggs and um, Jerry Judy are both going first round this year. Next year, Devontae Smith and and uh, Waddle will both go first round next year as well. We we had a whole segment talking about how these two or how the all these receivers used to play rock paper scissors to see who would go out for the main route. I mean, we exactly. know how good their his targets were. They were incredible. It, absolutely amazing. And I think Terrence Marshall is underrated for LSU uh, and how good he is as a wide receiver. I mean, people don't. And then you got Thaddeus Moss that's going to get drafted. I mean, both of these quarterbacks had more weapons than Justin Herbert. And I think, I mean, and Brandon knows how good Justin Herbert is. Brandon had him picked for the Heisman midway through the year, guys. So people are sleeping on Justin Herbert because Joe Burrow put up such an amazing year and Tua is just the fairy tale guy in the draft. And I hate, and I, I can't wait. I think our next episode, we're going to talk about this. The Russell Wilson comparisons for Tua need to stop. That, that is disrespectful to Russell Wilson because he is not Tua Tagovailoa. And I think Justin Herbert 
is going to be a stud in the NFL. And so I'm going with him number one, regardless of how anyone else feels. Yeah. Okay. Well, you have your opinion. I have mine. Let's go and continue. (laughs) So we're going to move on to Michael Irvin's comments on the 40 yard dash. And man, did I love these comments more than anything in the world. So Michael Irvin was asked about the combine and what you could take away from some of the events like the 40 yard dash. Well, he went on to say that speed at the event was overrated because sub 4-3 speed is not what gets you to the Hall of Fame because you lose control over your route running ability and you lose the minute details that you need to have to run the entire route tree. In the past years, we've seen receivers such as John Ross with their 4-4-2-2 record-setting run and Jacoby Ford with the 4-2-8 reach this mark, but they have been bust so far in the NFL. This year, Henry Ruggs set the combine on fire, running a sub 4-3-40 as well, and is projected to still be a first-round pick. Brandon, how much weight does the 40-yard dash really hold, in your opinion? And are you on Michael Irvin's side about this? Yeah, I'm definitely on the side. Um, it, it doesn't hold a lot of weight. You know, the only there's only a handful of positions that the 40-yard dash really matters for, and those are only positions that, I mean... For instance, Henry Ruggs, very fast, very good receiver too, though. I mean, you look at the other, you look at the other speeds for guys. I think he's like the fifth. I think he's like tied for fifth fastest since like '09 or something. Henry Ruggs is now with a four two eight, and all the other guys on the list were just busts. I mean, but the difference between Henry Ruggs and those guys is that Henry Ruggs is actually a good wide receiver. You know, he's proven that. I mean, day in day out over his tenure at Alabama, so. Uh, um, not a lot of weight, but if you're running go routes with Henry Ruggs, that'll make him dangerous. Uh, if you're a cornerback, if I mean, and you're, if you're a cornerback and you're running four threes, I mean, that's also great because you can catch up with those receivers that are running. I mean, you can catch up with Henry Ruggs who's running a four two eight. It's just it depends on the position. I just don't, you know, I don't see any reason for a quarterback or for an O-lineman or a D-lineman to be running 40-yard dashes. It's just, why? Why are you running those? Why does it matter how fast you can run in a straight line without pads on? So, I, I don't like. I don't think – I think Michael Everyone was more talking about wide receivers. I think everyone agrees with you on offensive linemen, defensive linemen, stuff like that. And I've been on record saying the combine should not change an entire opinion on a player. I think combine results, I love – I agree completely with what Shannon Sharp said – he said combine results should, should support the film you watch on a player. So if a player looks fast on the film, you should he should run a really, really good 40 time. But if he looks fast on the field and then runs a bad 40 time, then you should have starting you should get some concerns about that player. And you know, Michael Irvin and Shannon Sharp talked about this and pointed out and said that no one in the Hall of Fame ran a sub four three forty yard dash, but that is not true. And I get the point they were trying to make. Brandon, without looking it up, what wide receiver ran a sub four three and is in the Hall of Fame? Oh, dude, I have no idea. Um, Ra- Randy Moss. Randy Moss. Okay, he ran a four two five at the combine, and God. yeah, and he was he, and that's why Randy Moss, you know, guys, is like probably the third greatest wide receiver of all time. But Brandon, I'm a, so you know, you put me on the spot with when we talked about combine hands. I'm gonna name a forty time. And you're going to tell me what what great receiver had that time. 
to kind of okay, exemplify what Michael Irvin was talking about. So we'll start with a four seven one. Four seven for a rec- we're talking about receivers here. Only receivers. We're just we're talking about receivers. Oh, I have no idea. Four seven one. Um Jerry Rice. Really? <laughs> the greatest you know who the else greatest four seven one? And I don't who know else why I know this. Aaron Rodgers. I don't know why I know that, but I yeah, he I, ran a four seven one as well, right? Guys, so this this just exemplifies the point Michael Irvin was trying to make. Jerry Rice was voted, I believe, the second greatest player in NFL history, and he ran a four seven. And so we'll keep this going. I got a few more for you, man. Four five two. Without looking it up, I know you're on the computer because we're recording, but yeah, but I mean, I'm not gonna. That'd be lame for me to look. Are you kidding me? No, I have no idea. Um, (laughs) Let's see. Is that would that be like To? No, Michael Irvin himself. Oh, good. Michael Irvin (laughs) himself ran a five, a four, (laughs) five, two. So Terrell Owens was my next one. What do you think he ran, Brandon? I don't know, like. I mean, it sounds to me like he probably ran like a like a four four nine, a four four five. Close enough. I'll take it. You were okay. on the dot on this one. All these guys are Hall of Fame receivers, probably top five of all time. And just to further exemplify, I have two of the best wide receivers in the league right now. So these are current wide receivers. So this will probably be easier for you. Who okay. out of the, who, these are two? Of, in my opinion, the two best receivers in the NFL right now. Who ran the four five seven in the NFL combine? Uh, I'm just going based off the of best receivers in the NFL right now. I'm going to say Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas, a four five seven. Really, and, I'm right. Uh, he yes, it was Michael Thomas. That's who it is. He, in my opinion, okay. I think he's the best That's wide right. receiver in the NFL right now. And then my second best wide receiver ran a four three nine. Pretty good. That's pretty. That's pretty damn fast. Yeah, really, like it's not sub four really three, fast, but that's actually. flying. That's flying. That's what Isaiah. That's what Isaiah Simmons ran. Um, yeah. So, uh, I have no idea. I'm just no idea. I'm sorry. Julio Jones. Okay. Okay. That's pretty. Julio fast. Jones ran a four three nine. Julio Jones is pretty big. The probably the one receiver that breaks this thing might be Hall of Famous Tyreek Hill. He ran a 4-2, I think it was 7, but Tyreek yeah. Hill, not really known for his route running, and he's just known for catching balls 57 yards downfield because Patrick Mahomes threw it sideways and no one's around him because he's so fast. But, you know, I think I, I think I understand where this narrative's coming from. Um, I think if you look at teams like the Bengals, who selected John Ross way too high a few years ago, and then you had the Raiders draft Darius Hayward Bay like seventh out of nowhere. And, you know, it. The, everyone was like, their film doesn't suggest that they should go top 15, top 10. And so p- these teams are reaching just based off of their speed in the combine. And just because a player's fast does not mean they are elite. But speed does help. I mean, Julio Jones being 6'4", you don't think it helps that he runs a 4'3"? I think that's oh, pretty. Definitely helps. That, yeah, definitely, definitely helps. And I mean, is there a real? So let me be honest with you guys. I mean, I'm not a four three guy. I'll I'll tell you all that right now. You probably know <laughs> this, but uh, is there really a difference between a wide receiver that runs a four three and a four five? 
I mean, it, like, real. Are we getting down to the millis? I mean, come on. Right. The the like tenths of a second. Or is that what? Well, tenths that of a really? second. That's pretty. That's pretty big. I mean. Yeah, maybe a NASCAR, right. but like not not the in, NASCAR. I mean, on a route, like if you're a tenth of a second faster, I mean, and some of these cornerbacks are right there with you. So like. Yeah, that tenth of a second might matter, but if you're good at running routes, you can make up that tenth of a second. I mean, Jerry Rice at four seven, but he he ran the best routes of all time. And plus, when you're Randy Moss and you're bigger than everybody, I mean, that's almost unfair that you can run a four two five. It, yeah, it's not sure. it's not right. But I mean, Michael Irving is correct about this point. But I th- here's where I think the forty yard dash does matter. It, it it offers important information depending on the needs of the individual team. So if you need a deep threat that will take the tops off the defense, so your underneath routes will be open and your good route runners will be open, why not take a chance on a Tyreek Hill that runs a four two? Because that's all you need him to do. You don't need him to be able to run a a dig or a fade or like all this kind of stuff that you know takes some skill or just you don't need him to run the whole route tree you're gonna have a run fly routes or go routes or whatever or deep posts like anybody can run those but it depends on what type of receiver you're looking at if you need a possession receiver then yeah maybe don't put as much stock in the 40 yard dash but this this idea that each of these things should be the end all be all it's just not the correct thing. So as much as Michael Irvin is correct to a point, I think he missed the point of some teams making a bigger deal about it than others. And like you said, you never know, man. I mean, th- we've seen players that just test out the roof that the film just doesn't support. And so to me, I think the senior bowl and the film mean more than the NFL combine. And God forbid, if we start looking at pro days, I mean, pro days are pretty much rigged to make everybody look good. If a player looks bad at a pro day, just take them off your board. Like, if they can't perform well in their home environment with all the players they know, good, man. Like, what what are you expecting? Right, right. I mean, I don't know. It, that's, just, that's just my opinion, but I get what Michael Irvin is saying. I mean, it's just it's, you have so much variability, and... You know, I don't think anyone expected Jay Rice to run very fast coming out of what was it, Mississippi Valley State? Right. Yeah. You're it's right. the school he came out of. I mean, and really, I love doing this segment because I did not know Randy Moss ran a four two because I about threw up at my desk. I was like, they gave that dude a four two. I was like, man, that is unfair. <laughs> like they gave it to him. Yeah. Like God, man, that's that's just unreal in my opinion, but. Yeah, I, I get what they're saying. But, yeah, I thought it was interesting that Michael Irvin and all of them were saying, like, no one ever made the Hall of Fame running a sub a sub 4-3. And I was like, Randy Moss is pretty good, and he's pretty recent. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's – I don't know. It's just it's, – it's crazy to me that this much emphasis is put on the 40-yard dash. But uh, let's go ahead and continue on to our – I think it's our last conversation piece. Yes, but last conversation piece, guys, and – it's a it's an interesting one, in my opinion, because I think this has been talked about a lot recently. So for the past few years, analysts and fans across the country have griped and complained about the scheduling differences across the conferences. You have conferences like the Pac-12, Big 12, and Big 10 playing non-conference games, while the ACC and SEC only still play eight. And, you know, the SEC still plays non-Division one opponents, these FCS schools. And looking back, Ohio State has not played a non-D1 school since 
2013 was the last time, and they played Florida A&M in the second game of the year. That's the last FCS school Ohio State has played on their schedule, while most SEC teams have at least played one every single year since then. But we've seen a recent effort to fix this problem with games like Alabama, USC, Ohio State, Oregon this year, Georgia, North Carolina, Auburn, Penn State in two years, Texas LSU last year, and the uh, this was such a great game, Texas A&M, UCLA in the Rose Bowl. Such an amazing game. But some analysts such as Joel Klatt for Fox Sports says we need to make all conferences play an eight-game conference schedule and have four non-conference games a year. But his stipulation is that they each conference should have scheduling partners such as college basketball has with the conference challenges. So if the SEC is paired with the Big 12, Big 10, then Alabama would play Ohio State at home and then Oklahoma and Norman because each team is paired by finishing order. Um, so it'd be like if Alabama won the SEC, they play Ohio State. So I guess if we're talking about this year, LSU would play Ohio State and Oklahoma. And they would flip a, a home and home series there. So, but this to me creates parity and makes special matchups across the country. Brandon, is this actually a real issue in your opinion in college football? And would something like this solve this issue? And if it doesn't, what would you propose to solve these to solve something like this? Look, I, I definitely like that proposal. Um, you know, college basketball did it because I mean they were kind of facing the same type of issues. So. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's as big of a deal as people are acting like. Um, I do certainly see that some schools are taking advantage of it. I mean, for instance, Alabama played Duke uh, for the, for the kickoff game this past season in Atlanta, you know, why in the world are you playing Duke at a neutral site next season? I think LSU is playing Rice at a neutral site. It's technically neutral site. It's in Houston. Yeah. But it, it, yep. It's in just, Houston. It's an energy stadium. Anyway, um, but I mean, Rice is in Houston. Anyway, uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, if you're playing your conference schedule, um, that's really, I mean, what else do you want this team to do? I understand that, you know, we want to see better football, but at the same time, you know, these, these big programs, I mean, the Alabamas of the world who are playing Tennessee Chattanooga, I mean, they're they're funding that team. You know, they're giving that team money so their team can continue on, so they can continue playing football for seasons to come. I mean, they're they're getting a couple million dollar payout. I understand that we want to see better football, but if we want to see football grow, if we want to see college football grow uh, to its full potential, we have to have these bigger teams playing smaller teams. Oh, we well, I, for, have... I forgot to mention. My bad. That was on me. So those, so out of the four games, two of them would be that conference uh, matchup game. The other two would be would not be monitored, but they have to be against teams, local teams from that state. So it'd be like LSU would have to play Louisiana Tech, Louisiana Lafayette, Louis. They would have to be a smaller school from Louisiana, from that area, such as like Auburn having to play South Alabama, Sanford, or UAB. Okay, I, I actually really like that. Then that's that's a pretty cool proposal. Um, yeah, I mean, it makes more competition too. You know, you you have to play these two teams. I mean, you know, some years you're going to get the, you know, you're going to get the better end of the stick, and you're going to end up playing. You know, if you're if you're in Alabama, you're going to end up playing like Rutgers from the Big Ten. You know, you might play Rutgers and uh, and Maryland in the same season, and then good. You know, that's great for you, which is basically what they're doing already. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like that proposal. I think that I think that works out fine. Um, I don't really have. 
like a real proposal other than that. I mean, my proposal was, hey, you can't schedule more than two of those. I mean, or, or more than one FCS school um, per season. I mean, you schedule one, maybe you want to play your homecoming. It's an, F- an FCS school, whatever. But you can't just load that up. You can't keep playing these you know, group of five games that don't amount to anything. I mean, just put strict regulations. I didn't have anything specific, but I mean, we don't want to see bad football, right? No, I mean, and there's been weeks. I mean, doing the podcast, I believe it's the it's the week before rivalry week. It was like, man, we had trouble picking games to cover because it's like, well, Auburn plays Sanford, LSU doesn't play anybody, Bama doesn't play anybody. It's like, okay, well, what did we talk about? And we ended up covering a lot of Big Ten, Pac-12 games that week, and. So I think this is a huge problem in college football. And the problem is not every solution will make every fan happy, but an effort or a step in the right direction is needed. I mean, Brandon, I mean, you're a huge LSU fan. How much did you really like watching LSU play? What what was it? Northeastern? Northwestern State. I actually really enjoyed that because I met Coach O after that game. So (laughs) super cool. Coach Coach O, a little known fact, played at Northwestern State. So pretty cool pretty cool game they played there but i get what you're saying i mean it wasn't uh i mean i was at that game so it was it was fun for me but if i was just watching it on tv i get what you're saying it wouldn't be it wouldn't have been the most fun game in the world to watch but i've watched it yes but what i've been happy about it not as happy as if lsu was playing texas right yeah for, (laughs) for sure and i think this plan's a good start but i disagree on a few points and so my like idea would be a little bit different than Klatt's, but it's still similar. I think they should only limit it to one non-Power 5 game a year. And that needs yeah. to be a local school. So Bama, Auburn, you got to play South Alabama, Sanford, UAB, something like that. LSU, you got to play one of the three teams I named earlier and so on and so forth. I'm not up on all the small schools in every state, but that's important because like Brandon said, it boosts the finances of these small schools and they rely on these paydays to keep those programs going. I mean, UAB went under because Alabama Auburn would not play them. And that, that's yeah. a shame. That is a big well, shame. And that, and their president just hated that's football. True. For that's some true. Reason. Like they, that's they true. definitely had the finances in place where they could have kept going anyway. Yeah. But it would have helped, uh, you know, to get $4 million to go oh, yeah. play Alabama. But you know, and I love the idea of conference challenges similar to college basketball. Uh, me and Brandon are both big college basketball fans as well. The SEC Big 12 thing, amazing. I think LSU went and played at Texas. Iowa State played Auburn. <clears throat> Kansas State went and played at Alabama. Great idea. Love it. You would like to see Tennessee, K- Kansas, all that kind of stuff. Kentucky, you know, play whoever. But I think conferences should have to rotate every two, three years, though, and the matchup should have some flexibility. So instead of doing the conference champion from each conference every year, so because I don't think that's necessarily fair because every conference champion loses pieces differently. Like LSU is losing a lot more pieces than Ohio State's losing from the Big Ten. And so I don't think that's one versus one, as a lot of people think. I think it should be more based off preseason predictions. And you can combine a little bit of post, you know, the previous season predictions. But Alabama is being picked a lot to win the SEC this next year. Who wouldn't love to see an Ohio State versus Ohio, uh, Alabama versus Ohio State matchup in Columbus or Tuscaloosa? That would be 
right. the most viewed game ever. And like, what about if Clemson had to play Michigan in the big house or they had to come to Death Valley? How big of a game would that be? And you could stagger these games where there's a few each week because you would have so many of them. And I think this would actually help if you brought the A the AAC up to a power, let's say six. You would have the flexibility to match conferences up across the board. I mean, the AAC can compete with these. If you matched up the AAC with the Pac-12, the AAC might win that challenge. I'm yeah. I'm just saying, Memphis, Cincinnati. Uh, SMU Tulane, they would have a chance to beat some of those teams. And I'm, especially if you had to come across country and I'm not saying that would be the matchup. I'm just saying I would have faith in the AAC to compete, but this would also create more exciting games weekly. If you staggered them, like I said, and this would create such a competitive recruiting landscape. I mean, how often do recruits in Michigan get to see LSU play in their home state? Never. You're right. Like, no, <laughs> hardly. I mean, I mean, hardly ever. I mean, could you imagine the recruiting it, for these schools? I mean, we talk about these Pac-12 schools, like, oh, they can't recruit. Oh, these, well, they don't get the national spotlight. I mean, imagine if Oregon had. Do you, how many recruits do you think came and saw Oregon play Auburn in Texas? They were probably a good number. Uh, a, a good number. And what happens if Oregon has to come down and play in Gainesville in the swamp? How many recruits out of the state of Florida do you think would be like, well, I need to start looking at Oregon. Look at those uniforms. I get to meet Coach So-and-so. Like, look at the culture. Look at the game. Like, <clears throat> it would create such a recruiting overhaul. And I think you see more big, more big recruits go to different places. And – I think this is the biggest thing. I think, Brandon, you're going to like this. No one talks about this. This will help the playoff selection committee tremendously. (coughs) So it will create more opportunities to compare across common opponents, which is the biggest criteria. So you saw Ohio State play Alabama. So now you can compare Ohio State to Auburn, to LSU, to Florida, to Georgia, and even the smaller teams. Well, if Alabama, let's just say for some reason, Maryland got really good. Alabama had to play Maryland. Well, Ohio state's got to play Maryland eventually. So it helps create these common opponents. Plus it helps take strength of schedule almost out of the conversation. So yeah, Clemson didn't have the hardest schedule in the ACC this past season, but if let's just say they had to go to Oregon and beat Oregon and they beat Notre Dame, would we have many questions about whether they were the, one of the top four teams in the country? I wouldn't. Yeah, I get what you're saying. No. I mean, and I think it would it would restore competitive balance and create more monies and opportunities for all the schools. I mean, the ACC network how much how much more viewership and subscriptions would the ACC network get um, if you had Clemson play in Oregon one night on the ACC network? Yeah, that would uh, it, it would mean, just be outrageous. The TV deals would go up because more people would watch. I mean, yes, Auburn fans will watch Auburn play Sanford. Sanford fans would watch the same thing. But is there just a normal fan tuning in for LSU Northwestern State? No. no, Probably not. I mean, I don't even know that's on TV. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it would create a culture where there'd be more money going around. More recruits would see everything. It would just it would make college football the greatest sport in the country, which it probably already is. It's the most exciting sport, in my opinion, in the country. And 
I think this. I need. I think college football, the NCAA, needs to jump on this ASAP and fix a broken system. They came out this week with a bunch of changes, like players can wear number zero. No one cares about that. No one cares. <laughs> I kind of care about that. I like that. I mean, I like it. I mean, I don't think. I think it's stupid to ban numbers in the first place. But um, this is a more pressing issue that will solve a lot more issues in college football than what numbers players can wear. So I think this needs to be talked about this all season, next all season. And I think more people like us talking about it and getting it out to listeners like you guys to talk about, I think it will create a need and a want for the NCAA to address this issue sooner and sooner. Yeah, we're really, we're really, we're doing a real service out here with this podcast. So, um, anyway, let's, uh, <laughs> we are. Uh, I guess that's I guess that's really it, huh? Yeah, that is a wrap. So we'll, we'll be back later this week. Combine wraps up today, so we held off on a lot of the combine talk that we have. We have a lot more questions to address. I mean, I know coming up later this week, we're going to talk who is really the best wide receiver in the country, Jerry Judy or C.D. Lamb. I cannot wait for that one. You know, or Justin Jefferson, because I know Brandon's a homer and we know how he operates. Uh, but you didn't, you didn't even have to say that. <laughs> but guys, that is a wrap on the episode. We appreciate you guys listening. Keep subscribing. Go rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, preferably. Um, tell your friends. Tell your coworkers. Tell your cousins you don't like. The cousins you do like. Tell your grandparents just to play us in the background while they cook you guys food. Whatever y'all prefer to do follow us on social media at the underscore blue bloods on instagram at the blue bloods pod on facebook at the underscore underscore blue bloods on twitter dark twitter only we got some stuff in the work that will drop pretty soon um but we're coming out with a lot of draft stuff uh so look for mock drafts positional rankings everything exclusively from the blue bloods but until then guys we out